Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome to North Coast Calvary. If you're new, I'm hoping you feel especially welcomed and uh, loved this morning. Well, we are three weeks. We are in a three-week series studying one specific moment from Jesus' life when Jesus multiplied five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 families. We are week two into our three-week series. Last week, we looked at Jesus' compassion and what Jesus' compassion had to say to us about God's very nature. This week, we are looking at Jesus' challenge when he tells the disciples, you feed them. And what that has to say to us about our calling And next week, we're going to look at Jesus' community and learn something about the purpose of our church here in San Diego and North County. So this week, we're going to start in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to look at this moment from Luke's perspective. Last week, we looked at it through Mark, but this week, Luke. Luke sets the story in a very interesting context, and so I picked his, his rendition, and we'll see that in just a minute. We'll start at verse 10. Chapter 9. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with him. And they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, you know, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, how about you give them something to eat? They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. We also know there were women and children Uh, from Matthew's version. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. All right, so I want to ask you a question. Why does Jesus challenge the disciples to feed them? I mean, let's just pause right there, and that's what this message is framed around, this particular moment. Why? I mean, couldn't Jesus have just done it himself? I mean, Jesus had healed the sick, raises the dead, walks on water, calms storms. Why would Jesus ask the disciples in this moment to go do it? All right, I want you to reflect for a second. You got it? All right. Was it because Jesus himself didn't know what to do and he was stalling? Thinking, maybe if I just stall, you know, and get them a little, you know, stressed out, I can think about what to do. Is it because he thought they could do it on their own? He said, come on, you got the power. Get out there. Do it. Was it because he expected them to go out and buy it? That's certainly what the disciples thought. 
Have you ever had a moment like this where you felt like God was challenging you in some way to, to obey him in a way that felt like, are you kidding me? When was the last time you had a moment like this with Jesus? <laughs> this morning. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Michelle. Maybe just being here this morning, some of you have already obeyed. Good job. Good job. Come on. Sometimes just getting here, especially if you had kids. Come on now, peeps. I see you parents in the crowd. Right before, I want to answer this question by pausing and looking at the context in which Luke puts his feeding of the 5,000. Luke's really unique the way he structures the chapter. So when Luke is telling this story, and we're asking this question, why is Jesus doing this? Luke wants to give us this implicit answer. And it starts with the, the way he starts the chapter. Chapter 9 begins when Jesus sends out his disciples to go do what he has been doing and what he's doing in this very moment. Right, so let's read chapter Luke 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, so right there you can see Jesus is like sending them out to do what he's doing and what he's doing in this moment. And then in chapter 10, Jesus doesn't just send out the 12, he sends out 72 others to go do the same thing that they have been doing. Talk about the kingdom of God, heal the sick, and care for people. There it is. Talked about God, heal the sick, and care for people. Now you can see how Jesus is expanding himself and these other people. So when we look at Mark, Mark really paints this picture and helps us answer the question, why does Jesus ask them to go and feed the people? And that is because why? He wants to do more than multiply food. He wants to multiply himself in you. When Jesus multiplies the food, what it partly represents is his desire to multiply himself in you. You are God's bread given to the world. And you can see that as Jesus is taking himself and giving it to the 12 and then the 72. And if we fast forward to Pentecost, the 120, and then if we fast forward 2,000 years, we would see North Coast Calvary Chapel and all the people that are here, Jesus multiplying himself by apprenticing his followers into his life of compassion. So that's what this message is about this morning. What does this moment when Jesus feeds the 5,000 say to us about how Jesus multiplies his compassion in us to the world? Are you ready for this? We're going to start with the first one. Now, where does Jesus start when he wants to multiply his compassion in us? He starts by caring for you first. Check this out. We're going to go back to actually Mark 6.31. Now, at the very beginning of this moment, it says this, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus cares for them first. How do you see Jesus demonstrating compassion for the disciples first here in this moment? Okay, look at this moment right here. How do you see Jesus caring for the disciples? Would you take a quick second and share with a friend next to you? Make a friend, share with a neighbor. How do you see Jesus sharing compassion? Turn and go ahead and share for a couple seconds. Ready to go. 
Now, if you're new to our church, we kinda, I kind of like to do this because we don't just come to hear me talk. We come to dig into the Word of God together, and we're in community. And being together, it gives us a chance to chew on the Word of God together. So, yeah, I want you guys to get to know each other. So, what did you come up with? Anyone want to share anything? What did you come up with? Want to raise a hand? Put your hand up so I can see you. Put a hand up. Who wants to share how you see Jesus' compassion? Yes, in the back. Yeah, come on now. He's like, you're doing a good job. Let's go and get some rest together. Yes. What else? Good. Yeah, in the back there. What? Yes, he what? Yeah, he fed them. You definitely see him feeding them because we know they're hungry. They haven't had a chance to eat. What else? Good. More. Over here. You guys. What you got? What you got over here? Yes, right here. Yeah, that's so good. You nailed it. I mean, right here you can also see that Jesus sees their own need for rest. Now that's super important. Let's talk about all this. Jesus has compassion on his disciples by noticing their need for rest. Why does that matter so much? Why is that so important? The first thing we need to understand is Jesus doesn't want to just use them. And Jesus doesn't want to just use you. I think sometimes it feels that way with church. We come to church so we can, Jesus can give us something to do. We can just be doing, 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 doing. And, it, and you could see here, they're about, they've been doing amazing things for Jesus, and they're about to do something else. But Jesus is like, look, it's not just about you going out and doing stuff for me. Come and be with me. Look back at the passage in Mark 6, 31. It says, come with me. This is so important because when Jesus wants to apprentice someone, the first thing he does is he calls them to be with him. And being with Jesus is the fundamental, non-negotiable, enduring requirement to be a follower of Jesus, to be with him. Imagine if you were to get married and then go, okay, but we're going to keep living in our separate homes. It might feel like, whoa, you're still in your own apartments? That might be kind of weird. I'd be like, whoa, I, I thought maybe you guys would kind of, you know, kind of live together. I always trip when I watch those old movies and people are like still sharing separate beds, you know, and they have their own beds and stuff. But like when Jesus is like, well, when you're going to follow me, you're going to be with me. He doesn't want you to follow him and then just leave him. He wants you to be with him. And it's because being with him is what causes our life to overflow with everything that he's going to ask us to give to others. And that is so important for us to understand. Because when we don't understand the importance of being with Jesus and we just want to get right to the doing and to the giving, we start giving out of our own strength, our own resources, and we find ourselves getting burned out, dried up, thinned out, frustrated, because as we're going to find out soon, when we are following Jesus and he's sending us out, he is going to take us to the end of ourselves. And you get to the end of yourself and you don't understand the importance of being with Jesus and being filled by him, you are going to quickly run out. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe some place in your life, you've kind of run out. You are running thin. And maybe this morning, God wants you to hear his gentle reminder and invitation to come back and be with him again. Being with him causes us to overflow. Isn't that wonderful? 
And he loves you. And he's created you to be in relationship with him. So Jesus cares for the disciples. And for us, that might mean taking the time to get alone with Jesus and praying, hearing his voice, opening up the scriptures and hearing what God wants to say to us. The second thing that Jesus does is that the first is he cares for us. Then, number two, Jesus nudges us to notice others. When you're spending time with Jesus, you're going to begin to see the world differently. You're going to see your neighbor, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your classmates, your teammates in a different way. When you're spending time with Jesus, you're going to begin to see them through his eyes. Look at... um, When we go to the second point, I want to just point out the fact that when we look at Luke's gospel, it looks like it's the disciples that are telling Jesus, you need to pay attention to the crowd. It looks like they're the ones that are initiating with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, don't you notice all these people that need to eat? But watch when we go to John. When we go to John, we actually get a a perspective on the moment that none of the other gospel writers have. John shows us actually how it unfolds. Let's go to John 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to annoy and stress him out. (laughs) Sometimes it does feel like that with God. It is going to feel like that when you follow Jesus. He is going to challenge you to do things that are going to stretch you out of your comfort zone, which is why John uses the word test. Look at this word right here. He says to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. That is so, so important. Jesus first nudges Philip to notice the crowd. That's actually how this whole thing goes down. What John helps us see is Jesus notices the crowd. He nudges Philip, what are we going to do? Where are we going to buy food? And he starts getting all freaked out. And he goes and gets Andrew. And Andrew gets worried and freaked out. And then they go to the other 12 and decide we all together need to go to Jesus, all whipped up into an anxious frenzy. And we need to convince him to send the crowd away because they're getting hungry. Can you see how this all flows? But it's Jesus who starts. And what's the point here? That when we are nudged with compassion for other people, to notice others, it is always Jesus nudging you. Whenever you have a moment where God is nudging you to notice other people, it is Jesus nudging you because Jesus wants to draw your attention to the needs of others around you to notice them in the way that he does so that you can exhaust yourself trying to solve everyone's problems. (laughs) Come on now, isn't that what you're afraid of? If I say yes to Jesus, I'm going to be running around just trying to solve everyone's problems, tell everyone about Jesus, and exhausted and depleting every resource of my life until I'm just a burned out guy. Better to burn out than flame out. Isn't that what the old school peeps used to say? But maybe not. Because Jesus already knows what he's going to do. But when he nudges us, we can feel anxious because we instantly go to what we're going to do. And it says here that Jesus already knew. So when Jesus nudges you to care for your parents, your roommate, your, the, the checker at the grocery store, 
we have to remember Jesus already knows what he is going to do. And we get to discover and walk alongside him as he nudges us to discover what he wants to do. Let me give you an example. I was recently walking. Um, at the end of the day, I like to close my day with a little prayer walk. I'm doing a little prayer walk, listening to worship music. And before I, I can even react, there is a golden retriever in my face with his tongue in my mouth. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I'm praying out loud. I'm just praying and worshiping. And as my mouth opens, his tongue just goes in my mouth. And for five minutes, I'm like spitting dirt out of my mouth. His paws get up on my chest. He pushes me back. I almost fall over. And then I see that he's just, you know, wagging his tail and he's having a good time. And I see this young couple kind of like, oh my gosh, they're sort of beside themselves, super embarrassed. And as they, walk, as they get their dog and walk past me apologizing, I'm looking at them. I get a really good look at the guy. I don't know them. And I walk on. I say, hey, it's no big deal. And I walk on. I'm kind of like, oh man, people, keep your dog on a leash. <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind petting your dog, but I don't want him giving me a kiss like that. <laughs> and as I'm walking, kind of irritated and frustrated, I get this crazy thought that is out of left field. I get a nudge. And I get this thought, invite them to church. I'm like, what, dude? Are you kidding me right now? We're like passing each other. I'm like, I'm not going to go back and chase them. So I kind of make a deal with God. I'm like, God, if, if you bring them back to me, I will tell them. <laughs> <laughs> you ever do that with God? You're like, okay, God, I want to test and make sure this is you. And if this is you, why don't you bring them back? But we're going like this. So I'm thinking, yeah, I got out of that one, God. Good luck. <laughs> I, we're walking opposite directions. So I'm walking and I take a turn on this, down into this neighborhood that I don't normally walk into. I usually stay on this dirt path. So I take this random turn and I'm walking, and I'm listening to worship music, and I don't know how I heard this, but with the worship music on, I hear someone behind me, and I turn around, and it's that couple. They are like right behind me. I'm like, are you kidding me? How did they just turn around and come after me, you know? So I'm like, okay, God, you did your end of the deal. I'll do mine. I turn to them. I take out my AirPods, and I say, you know, I, I don't want to be weird or anything, but I just get this feeling that I, from God, I'm supposed to just invite you to church, are you guys looking for a church? And they're just stunned, like, whoa, uh, you know, total stranger. And I was nervous, but it's okay. They didn't freak out. And they just smiled and they go, you know, we just moved to the neighborhood and we actually just got connected to a church. They tell me the church, it's a, fr it's a church of a good friend of mine. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is a fantastic church. And we just spend the next five minutes just walking and talking. And I'm just hearing about how they met how they're getting settled in our community. And then that was it. That was it. No big, amazing thing, dude. Nothing spectacular. And I think that's the point. Because we just have to learn to be apprenticed and trained by the Spirit to take those little risks. Sometimes you're going to hit a grounder to first. Sometimes you're going to hit a home run. It doesn't really matter. You know, not every time you swing the bat are you going to hit the ball. Not every time you take a shot is it going to go in the net. You just got to start responding to God's nudges in your life, even when it makes you a little uncomfortable. Because the Holy Spirit in you is going to nudge you to, to disciple you into Jesus' life of compassion. And that means noticing people around us. It could be noticing 
your spouse in some area of their life you've not been paying attention to. It could be noticing your neighbor, noticing a stranger, and recognizing that when you allow God to nudge you to notice others, you are stepping into his life of compassion right there. You are allowing him to apprentice you into his life. And you're giving an opportunity for the Spirit of God to connect another person to God's compassion for them. At the end of our walk, I just said, you know, maybe God just wants you to know that he sees you. They were just so stoked. Me and this guy are going to get coffee this next week, and I don't know what's going to come of it. We don't have to know. You just got to trust God. Like the disciples, they're like, what do you want us to do with this? He's like, bring me your five loaves and two. He's like, this is not going to do anything. And we all kind of get stuck in the same kind of mindset, overly concerned about what we don't have to bring. But try this. I want to challenge you to begin noticing others because it expresses the relational heart of God. Maybe that's here at church. I want to give you a practice. Invite people to share their story and learn to listen. It could be just asking your kid, how was your day today, and listening. Hey, um, have you been to church here before, and how many times have you been coming to this church? I do that all the time. I'll walk around and just say, hey, have you been coming here a while? And I found some people here at our church that I've done that with tell me I have never had anyone introduce himself to me in three years. Isn't that shocking to you? Does that shock you? It's, I was like blown away. I'm like, really? This is like the most friendly, welcoming group of people I've ever been a part of. I, I'm blown away. You guys, we should be aware there's people here every week who are coming. And, and, and I think we all just assume everybody's been here forever. Everybody's best friends with everybody. And you might be thinking, well, gosh, I've only been here a month. What can I give? And just by reaching out and saying, hey, have you been coming here often? What brought you to this church? Hearing people's story our coworkers, asking the checker, hey, how's your day been going? What are you thankful for today? What's been challenging? Just, just opening up people's stories and listening trains us to notice others. Okay, let's go to the next one. The third one is this. If the first is Jesus cares for us first, the second is he urges, he nudges us to notice others. The third is when you respond to God's nudges, he's going to empower you. Jesus empowers us with more than we realize. Let's go back to the text. We're going to read Luke 9, and I want to read its verse uh, 13. There it is, verse 13. He replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. What a challenging moment that must have been. How do you imagine the disciples felt at that moment? What do you, what kind, what do you pick up in the tone of the disciples right there? All right, are they like, yes, Jesus, we've been waiting for you to get us in the game. Thank you for this moment. Are they just blown away with eager anticipation? How do you read it? Would you just turn real quick and just share what you pick up on the tone? What's one thing that you kind of imagine maybe is going on for them or would be going on for you in that moment? Real quick, just turn and share. Come on. And if you got your wife next to you, you better be sharing. I'm looking at you. you you're like both looking at me. Come on. <laughs> 
Okay, how do you think they're feeling? What do you pick up on? Because all the gospel writers, even with Philip, they, they're clearly communicating some affect on the part of the disciples, the tone. So what are you, what are you reading here? Raise a hand. What? Yeah, some sarcasm. What do you want us to go buy? All this stuff? Yes? Fear. Worry. Yeah, I think that's such a good word. Overwhelmed. Come on. When was the last time you felt overwhelmed by God? If God is not overwhelming you once in a while, you need to check who you're following because he is going to overwhelm us. Let me explain why. Not because he wants to mess with you and he wants to stress you out. It's because he wants to teach us he already knows what he's going to do. He's got to get us out of this mindset when he asks us to do something that's all on us. It's on me to be the good dad. It's on me to provide for my family. It's on me to make this team. It's on me to succeed in life. It's on me, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me. And we put a lot of pressure all the while forgetting Jesus already knows what he's gonna do. But listen to this, this is so important. Allowing Jesus to multiply his compassion in your life always means that he is gonna bring you to the end of yourself. Now, this is so crucial because if you don't learn to anticipate that, when it comes, it's going to make you turn and run. You may not even realize you've done that with Jesus. You just have somehow gently, quietly backed away from the crowd. You guys feed them. <laughs> Ever done that? Hey, who wants to volunteer? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, when you're in the group and you start trying to hide behind somebody else's head. Uh, hey, who wants to say something? Mm, don't look at me, Ryan, please. Uh, this is so important for us. You cannot, you, you cannot follow Jesus without being challenged to the point where you are beyond your, yourself, where he, you can't avoid being brought to the end of yourself and following him. And if you don't learn to embrace it and recognize it for what it is, somewhere you're going to begin to drift away from him and find a safe distance from him, watching him, enjoying what he says, respecting him, but not following him. We have to allow him to bring us to the end of ourself so that he can make more room in us for himself. Right. Listen to what Mother Teresa says. We don't have to love others from our abundance. We must love them until it hurts. To be true, love has to hurt. Do you think this is true? Do you think Mother Teresa's got this right? Let's consider for a second Jesus. No one better exemplifies this than Jesus himself. When God wanted to just illustrate and show the world love in its purest form, he sent his son to come 
and out of his love for you to go to the cross and die. Think about what that example gives us. God himself, out of love for you, going to the cross and dying out of love. I mean, it's such a powerful image. No other religion even comes close to this kind of message. This is a massive distinction from all other religious claims that God would come and suffer with us and take our pain on himself out of love. You guys, this is absolutely, in all the thousands of years of human history, unique. This is God. And he is making us in his image. Now, what does it mean to, you know, to come to the end of ourself? Well, I like this point that it hurts that she makes, that Mother Teresa makes, because it hurts to love others when it brings us to the end of ourselves. When, when we are brought to the end of our patience in having compassion on others, when we're brought to the end of our comfort, the end of our convenience, our resources, our personality. I'm not a people person, Ryan. I kind of more the person that just sort of blends in and leaves. You know, some of us have disqualified ourselves and have backed away from Jesus by telling ourselves it's not my personality to do that. I'm not a people person, some of us have decided. Have, are you one of those people that is like, I am not a people person? Are you kidding me? Do you have air in your lungs? <laughs> are you a person? Every person is a people person. He has made all of us to be people people. If you were made in God's image, you were made to be a people person. Doesn't mean you're extroverted and gonna get on a stage like I am. Doesn't mean you're gonna have a thousand and one friends, but all of us, all of us are made in the image of God and created to express his compassion in relationship to other people. Now, this is so powerful that God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves. Not realizing this and understanding this important lesson about following Jesus is like joining a soccer team and being shocked that the coach is making us run. It's like joining a water polo team and you cannot believe the coach is making you swim. It is just part and parcel with the whole deal. It's like getting married and being shocked that you have to work through conflict. It's just part of the deal. You know what I mean? And what Jesus wants to show us is that when he disciples us and apprentices us into his compassion, he's gonna bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can make room for his power in our life. When you get to the end of yourself, you are pressed to depend on God's power in a way that you otherwise never would. That is the point. The point is your five loaves and two fish are not enough, never will be enough, ever. And that is what Jesus is hoping you'll realize. And when you bring that realization to him, he's like, now you're ready for my power. Some of us in this room, have, it's been a while since you've experienced God moving in power through your life. And maybe this morning Jesus is saying, it's because you haven't been willing to be brought to the end of yourself. You haven't been willing to be stretched and take risks out of your comfort zone to give in ways that, man, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but okay, God, I'm going to trust you. Let me give you an example of where this has happened. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of hurt and challenge that comes from being in abusive relationships. Some of us are in abusive relationships where we're being manipulated, physically, emotionally hurt. 
That is not what this is about. That is not a place to go the extra mile and keep extending compassion. That's probably a place where we need to actually draw a boundary in our life. The kind of hurt that Mother Teresa is talking about is the hurt to our ego and our self-centeredness. Now, that's different. I want to give you a historical example so you can see this is always how it's been with God. Exodus chapter 3 God decides to have a conversation with Moses. And he says to him, Lord, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. So the people of Israel have been in Egypt now for 400 years. And God says, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. I'm sending you. Let's just just make sure we got that. (laughs) I have seen... I have heard, so I have come down. I'm sending you. We are, if you go back and read this in chapter 3 of Exodus, you're going to read a beautiful story that you've probably felt where you see Moses absolutely freaking out. I mean, freaking out, straight up arguing with God. No way, God. But you see, this is always how it's been to walk with God. This is not just a moment of feeding the 5,000. Jesus is revealing how it always is for people who choose to follow him. Watch what Moses says. Moses says this, Exodus 3, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And that is the problem. Who am I? See, when God comes down in history, you always know when God's coming down because the people of God get going. They get sharing. They start to talk about God with their friends, their coworkers, their family in ways they never normally would have. They begin to notice people that they normally would not have noticed who are different than them, who are outside their comfort zone. They begin to care for people in ways that stretches them and their resources. This is how you know when God is coming down because the people of God, they get going. But we get stuck on this. Who am I? Who am I to tell that person about God? Who am I to pray for that person? Who am I to walk up to that person at church and ask them if they've been here before and if they're new or if they've been around? Who am I to go up to someone and pray for them? And we get stuck asking. We even do that in our own homes. Even as parents, as fathers, we get stuck. Who am I to pray for my kids? Who am I to pray for my wife? Who am I to pray for? And we get so self-absorbed, wrapped around this who am I business. And that's where Jesus is trying to bring us out of that space into who is he? Who am I? What am I going to do? Because remember, he already knows what he's going to do. Where is Jesus challenging you to step outside of your excuses and allow him to empower you to reveal his compassion to people around you? Where is Jesus challenging you right now to notice others? Is it on your campus, on your team? Are there places in your life that you have literally made off limits to God? Like, God, no way. I would never even consider asking God what he's doing with my in-laws what, God, you're doing on my lacrosse team. 
on my campus. But if you are hungry and you want to get into the miracle, I want to give you a two-step process to get in on God's miracle because God wants you to be a part of his miracles. So are you ready? We're going to just quickly look at how this passage gives us two simple steps to get in his miracles. Ready? Number one. Jesus says, okay, look, I know you're freaking out about this whole feeding the crowd thing, so let me just hold your hand. Peter, get my hand. Andrew, hold my hand. Here we go. We can do this together, guys. You're going to be okay. Number one, bring me what you have. Disciples are like, okay, we can go do that. But what good is that going to do? All right, number two, give them what I give you to give. But it's not going to be enough. Just bring me what you got. Give what I give. Bring me what you got, give what I give, and that's it, and watch what God does. You see, guys, we have no idea what God can do through one simple act of compassion and the way that can open up a door for God's supernatural power to flow. I want to invite the band to come on out. And as the band comes out, I want to just challenge you to reflect on your life. Where is God challenging you? It might be to join Jim Doyle and his welcome team to welcome people here at church. But where is God challenging you to open up your life to his compassion for others so that his supernatural power can move in ways that you could never anticipate? I have a friend, I told you this story maybe if you've been around, 30 years ago who brought my friendship with him to God. He said, Jesus, I'll offer you my friendship. And when he brought our friendship to God, he just brought it to Jesus, and Jesus gave him a few things to say to me, and every week he would just say those things to me. Hey, Ryan, what do you think about Jesus? Hey, Ryan, have you ever looked at the Bible? Hey, Ryan, would you want to look at it with me? Hey, Ryan, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? My friend brought our friendship to Jesus, and he gave me what Jesus gave him to give. He never could have anticipated what God would do in my life. He couldn't have anticipated that not only would I come to faith, but through my conversion, my whole family would come to faith. He didn't, when he was just asking me, do you want to look at Jesus with me? He couldn't have imagined that God was going to release supernatural power and bring my whole family into God's kingdom. He couldn't have anticipated that one day I would dedicate my life calling to sharing the gospel with people. We have no idea the supernatural power that's going to flow through our life and we are willing to take a practical, simple step and say, Jesus, use me here and obey him. It's always simple. It's going to be something practical. But it might be scary. It might take you out of your comfort zone. If you will look in your notes... There is a prayer at the very bottom of the notes. Pull it out real quick. And if you don't have one, share with your partner next to you. It's this powerful prayer by Francis of Assisi. I want to encourage you this week over the next seven days to pray out loud this simple prayer. Do it with your spouse, your kids, your roommate, a friend. Pray this prayer. And let's just ask God to make us an instrument of his compassion and peace this week. Let's read it together, though. Let's pray this out together. Follow my lead. Ready? Let's uh, together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. 
where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Woo! Come on. Bless you guys this week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.